Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on the Mark Steiner Show on Soundbites, our weekly look at food, farming, uh, agriculture, the environment, and energy here on the Mark Steiner Show on WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We're now about to talk with Kathy Phillips, who is executive director of uh, the Aztec Coast Keeper uh, and is talking to us today from the halls of Annapolis itself, where she is pushing the notion of the Community Health Healthy Air Act, uh, which we have talked about a lot in the air because of the town meetings that we have done jointly together on the eastern shore with different communities around Salisbury. And, Kathy, welcome. Good to have you with us. Uh, great to be back, Mark. So so you're, so you're in Annapolis now, as we just said, and so you're, you are talking to delegates and senators about the Community Healthy Air Act, which I know had ties to the town meetings that you've been having in Wicomico and Somerset County, especially around the black community in, 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 around Salisbury. So what exactly uh, are you doing? To, to describe the act to the folks in our listening audience. Sure. Well, the people and the communities on the Lower Shore have basically taken the next step, and they have gone to the state level asking legislators to help them help MDE do its job better, and this act will require um, that MDE monitor confined animal feeding operations for the air discharges. Uh, MDE already issues a permit that is supposed to protect our waterways and our local communities from water discharges from these confined animal feeding operations or CAFOs, CAFOs. Um, however, we know that MDE does not monitor those permits, so communities are not even really sure if, if the permits are protecting the water. But what they do know for sure is that the state does not monitor the air discharges that are being emitted from the large exhaust fans on these 600-foot-long poultry houses. Some of these um, CAFOs can have six to eight or more of these 600-foot-long, totally enclosed poultry houses, um, sometimes with up to 38,000 birds in each house. And so that is a lot of particulate matter, ammonia, and other pollutants that are being blown out of those houses with no filter on the fans and no, um, and no monitoring by Maryland Department of the Environment to make certain that communities and families that live near these poultry houses are um, safe from what is being uh, emitted from these fans. So this is this bill is going to require MDE to identify all air pollutants that are emitted by CAFOs and to conduct air monitoring at CAFOs as well. And it also asks MDE to clarify which air laws it thinks applies to CAFOs. So we're going to finally get an answer and be able to move forward in better uh, managing um, how poultry houses, uh, how closely they can be built to communities, how densely uh, they can be um, uh, constructed in rural communities. And um, the hope is that uh, if this bill passes, 
and if MDE uh, does do this monitoring, that these communities will finally have the data they need so that they can go to their local counties and say, here is the data, it's local, and now we need you to pass health ordinances within your zoning codes in the counties to not just address setbacks and property lines for these big poultry houses, but to also better manage and regulate um, the impacts that these big poultry operations have on surrounding communities. So so to be clear, you're not asking for new regulations. You're asking for regulations to be enforced. Am I right? Exactly. Exactly. So does that that entail money? Beg your pardon? Does that entail more money? As as this bill progresses, uh, there will be a financial analysis. And when we get to that um, stage of the process, uh, there will be proposals and um, discussion about how to um, fund that. Um, Personally, um, I, I think that the industry that is creating these air emissions should be a little more responsible for um, filtering what they are uh, emitting out into these local communities. Um, but that's just me personally. Uh, we'll have to see what direction this takes with our elected leaders and with the sponsors of um, the bill. So who's, a couple quick questions here before we roll. Who's, who's sponsoring the bill and where is it now? Um, so it was just introduced last Friday. It is being sponsored by Senators Madaleno, Lee, Nathan Pulliam, Pinsky, and Senator Smith. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, they have called it the Community Healthy Air Act. Uh, now what is happening is uh, community leaders from the Lower Shore are attempting to Uh, have meetings themselves with their uh, Lower Eastern Shore delegation. Um, They would very much like to have um, a a bill introduced on the House side uh, so that we have it covered through both houses. And um, so they're hoping to have, uh, they have sent a letter to their Lower Shore delegation and they are asking for a meeting with the delegation to better explain the bill. Um, I think this is something that, you know, our Lower Shore delegation finally should be comfortable with um, because they themselves have been saying we don't have enough information to put any additional regulations on this industry. So this will enable MDE um, to do the monitoring, to do the data collection, and, and then we'll see if there does need to be um, further regulation on these air emissions from CAFOs? Or will MDE determine that the current laws that are already on the books just need to be enforced, and this will finally help to get the, um, the data collection that's needed? So you have to get it out of committee, and we'll kind of focus on this with you again to kind of look at where we are and where this is coming out of committee and, and where you are with it. We'll keep checking in again next week and the week after and keep folks abreast. And where quickly, how can people contact and find out about what found out more information about the, the bill itself and what you are doing uh, around the Community Healthy Air Act? Well, um, they can certainly uh, contact or follow the Assateague Coastkeeper um, through Facebook. 
they can also um, follow the Concerned Citizens Against Industrial CAFOs on Facebook. They have a very active Facebook community group page. Um, they will put updates on there as, um, as we get word of when the first committee hearing will be. And um, we are also hoping that uh, residents from the Lower Shore will join some of these community leaders um, to come to Annapolis one day and not only meet with the bill sponsors, but meet with other legislators and um, you'll have a little uh, lobby day uh, down here um, to continue to uh, get more and more support for the bill. Well, Kathy Phillips, it's always great to talk to you. We will stay on top of this with you and see where this goes. Um, Kathy Phillips, of course, the executive director, uh, Asti Coastkeeper, uh, talking about today about the Community Healthy Air Act winding its way through the halls of Annapolis. Uh, Kathy, thanks so much for your work, and thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Mark. We're very excited to get to um, this phase of what has been a two-year journey on the Lower Shore. Take care. Thank you. We're about to have a conversation with Michael J. Wilson, who is Executive Director of Maryland Hunger Solutions. He's been on the show many times. Michael, good to talk to you. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well. Good to hear your voice again. Sorry, I can't. Here, here. Can't. See, sorry, I can't see you in your red socks. But good to see you. Good to have you on anyway. <laughs> so. Glad to be here. Yes, indeed. So let's talk I'm about. Pardon? I'm actually here in Annapolis getting ready to, to do the work that we're about to talk about. Well, let's talk about that. So there are bills coming up that have to do with hunger in our children and pe- in, our, in our community. One is the um, Maryland Meals for Achievement for Teens Act, right? And Maryland Cares right. for Kids oh. Act. So talk a bit about what you're lobbying for there. So we're lobbying for two things here. Maryland Meals for Achievement Act is a great program that provides for in-classroom breakfast for high-poverty schools all around the state. And we know how breakfast is important for kids to be successful in school. So we we love the program. The problem is there's some tweaks we need to make to make it better. First of all, only 24% of the high schools that are 24% of high schools to secondary school students are participating in it. So we need to make a tweak in the reg so that we can have better access for secondary school students. But well, what does that mean? Why, why that percentage? I mean, what, 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 what is the cause of all that? Well, there are two causes. Partly, there's not enough funding to fund all the schools that are eligible. So we're asking for additional funding. But secondly, it's different to feed a high school student, an 11th grader, for example, than it is to feed a first grader. So doing breakfast in the classroom where you serve it in a classroom and they consume it in a classroom at the first grade level is much easier than it is at the high school level. So the tweak we're trying to make for secondary schools is to allow them to use what's known as that grab-and-go method. So when the high school student walks in, they can go right to a kiosk, pick up this item, this item, this item, and consume it in the classroom. That way the students are more apt to be able to utilize the program and to use and they'd be able to have breakfast. So a couple of questions I have here before and how this works out. So you're looking at sure. this particular case for $2.7 million in additional funding. There are other bills yep. as well. So given this time of, of great uh, budget uh, anxiety in Annapolis uh, yes. and with the governor's state of the union, state of the state address, where, where do you see these going? What's the pushback? So I don't think there's a direct pushback to the programs that we're supporting. And, and I'll get to one of them that doesn't have a fiscal note at all. 
I think the challenge for us is always to say to the elected officials is this is important. This, this is what it's cost, but this is what it's value. So kids who are in secondary schools today can't wait for 10 years or 20 years. They, we need to make sure that they're getting the best education, the best nutrition now. And so we ask for this now, and we make a case for policymakers, and they'll make a determination of what's worthwhile and what can be funded. So now how this is the other two acts. There are two other acts. That we so the other two acts, real quickly, are the Maryland Cares for Kids Act. Um, as every, as most folks know, most kids in school are either free, or they're reduced, or they pay full cost. We're focusing here on the reduced cost kids. There are a lot of kids who have the reduced price who have a hard time still paying for school meals. For example, if you make twenty three thousand dollars in the state of Maryland, and you've got a couple of kids. You're not going to be free. You're going to be reduced. But we all know that 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 cost is really exorbitant for somebody who's making twenty three thousand. That's not a lot of money. And so there are about forty five thousand kids throughout the entire state who are in that reduced price category. We're asking for the state to pick up their cost to make them free because a lot of those kids already don't eat because they can't afford it at the reduced cost and. For us to be able to pay for their meals is well worth it um, to make sure that they have both good nutrition and a good education. So when you, t- when you talk about the, um, the Hunger Free Schools Act of 2017, let's say. Yeah. So, so what do we and, – and I was interested to read this. There are 227 Hunger Free Schools in Maryland. So what does that yeah. mean? I mean, I mean what, A, what is the extent of hunger among our children? And B – what would it mean to have hunger-free schools in this in the state? And so let me let me answer the second part of that question first. So okay. a hunger-free school, by our definition, is a school that's using the community eligibility provision. And this is a bill we've talked about before. Um, what it means is schools are using community eligibility rather than going through and have, you know, Mark is free and Michael is reduced and Eric has to pay for his meal. When you have high-poverty schools, for example, Baltimore City Schools, where 85% of the kids are on free and reduced meals, it's cheaper just to have everybody eat. And it's more, more efficient rather than have that paperwork, that administrative burden, just to check that, trace down forms and pass out paperwork. It's cheaper to just actually feed kids. And that's what this federal program does. So in Baltimore City, where everybody is on the community eligibility, every student in every Baltimore City public school gets breakfast and lunch at no cost. That's why we call it a hunger-free school. Got you. So, and that's also true, for example, in Somerset County, where every student in every public school gets free breakfast and lunch. There are 12 schools in Washington County. There are nine schools in Prince George's County. There are two in Montgomery County. There are two in Howard County. There's one in Frederick County. They're all around the state where schools have participated and become eligible for this. Challenge is because the state did a two-year fix for this while they're trying to fix their compensatory education formula. We need to extend the bill that does this again, which is why we're back pushing for the Hunger-Free Schools Act again this year. But like like your point made earlier, there is no state cost for this. These are federal funds. We need to do a tweak in the state law so that state schools all around the state can utilize this program without losing their funding. So is there a danger, given the present 
administration in Washington that these funds could be in jeopardy? I don't think anybody can predict what the federal government's going to do on most of these programs for the near future. Our hope is that things will continue to move forward. Later on this year, we will have a farm bill. And so we'll be having a conversation about the food stamp program. Um, last year, the Congress was unable to come to completion on the um, child nutrition reauthorization. But that's an entitlement program that continues. So we still have school meals funding. Um, if you ask me what's going to ha- happen in the, in the next year at the federal level, I'm going to pick a coin up and toss it in the air. I don't know. <laughs> So uh, so what about what could happen in this legislative session? Are you optimistic about these bills? Yes, I'm optimistic. I think that the community eligibility provision, the Hunger-Free Schools Act, will pass. It passed last time, um, unanimously in the House, unanimously in the Senate, signed by the governor. I think of the school meals bills, I think we're going to make a strong case. And I think there's a good case for one of them potentially to be done, but I don't know which one. Um, that's going to be for the legislature to decide. Um, and, you know, there's some other bills out there, too, that don't deal with kids necessarily, um, but really deal with hunger and poverty. And I can talk about those now, or we can have that conversation at another time, if you like. Well, why don't you give us a little inkling to those, and, th- and then we can go further in it as, legislat- as the legislative session proceeds. We can get into it right. deeper, but, but outline them for us. Right. So there's a Farms and Families Act where we're asking the governor to put more money into to put money into the program that's private, up to now been a voluntary privately funded program um, so that when you have your food stamps and your WIC dollars and you spend it at a farmers market you can get bonus bucks you can get double you can get um, uh, a double your money's worth which is great for both the, the food stamp recipient and the WIC recipient and for the farmers and the farmers market. So the farmers love this program. And so there's a bill for the state to put money into this program, uh, as several other states have done, California, Illinois, New Mexico, even D.C. does this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it may make us potentially eligible for additional federal funds as well. And the, the multiplier on this is for the a dollar that we spend, we get a dollar thirty back. And so we're just putting more money into the Maryland economy and putting in into the, um, the helping the nutrition of our poorest citizens and encouraging our own farmers here in the state of Maryland. So you have a lot on your table on your plate here. <laughs> yes, a lot. Yes, yes. We've got a we've got a big appetite, and there's no doubt about it. Um, <laughs> no pun intended, huh? Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> um, we, we've also got a bill um, that we're working on, which I know you'll be interested in. It's a it's a real justice issue, and it's really being led by Out for Justice. <laughs> in Baltimore and our partners at the um, Job Opportunities Task Force. Um, If you are a drug felon and you come out of prison, you cannot participate in the food stamp program for a year. And of all the crimes you can think about, and I'm sure we can all think of many, um, the reason why they picked on drug felons alone for this is known only to the, the Congress and the legislators who've done it. In Maryland, we have a partial ban, which we're wanting to eliminate. We want to make sure that when people have served their time and come out, they can participate. We should not force them to forego food um, because of one particular crime. And so we're hopeful that the legislature is going to 
uh, repeal that remaining prohibition. There's no cost to the state to do that. It's an incentive for folks to come out and participate in legal and helpful activities, and we're hopeful that's going to pass as well. I mean, and we've covered a lot of these criminal justice issues, and this is where kind of criminal justice meets food issues. Um, and I think, right. And I think people, many people listening to this broadcast don't realize that that's the case for men and women coming out of prison. That's I mean, correct. It, Most it, people don't realize it. Um, but for those of us who work in the sphere, it's been a particular annoyance that after people have served their time, uh, they've picked on this one particular crime, and therefore that they can't, you know, get back on, the, they can't use the regular structural supports to get back on their feet uh, to be, um, you know, citizens like, like other folks. So, so, I mean, the, the, there's a lot here, and I, I'm sure that there's opposition to the last one we spoke about, given the, the, how some people think. But we're talking here. So where do people go? We're talking about the Maryland Meals for Achievement Teens Act, which is House Bill 257, Senate Bill 359, <clears throat> the Maryland Cares for Kids Act, which is House Bill. So people can go to our website, Maryland Hunger Solutions, mdhungersolutions.org, and they can sign up and they can contact us to be supportive of these bills. I think most people understand that hunger is a condition that is solvable and that there are existing programs to address this. And that's our goal is to use these programs to address what we know are real problems here in Maryland. And whether you're in Baltimore City or whether you're in Prince George's County, we, we, will, we want to continue to move forward and make progress on this. Well, Michael J. Wilson, uh, Executive Director of Maryland Hunger Solutions, always good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show on Soundbites. Uh, and I do want to say we deeply appreciate the work you do for our children community. So uh, keep, uh, we're, we're behind you in Annapolis, and we look forward to hearing more. Thank you very much. Glad to be on. Take care. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. Folks, the Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites. Good to have you with us here, you know, on our weekly look at food and farming and agriculture and energy and uh, our environment. And we continue our ongoing conversation and journey through vegans, the vegan world and the Afro-vegan world especially. Joining us once again is Brenda Sanders, who is executive director of the Better Health, Better Life organization, co-organizer of the Vegan Soul Fest, one of the directors of Open Cages Alliance, an animal advocacy group here in Baltimore that hosts the annual Vegan Living Program and does solidarity organizing with social justice work uh, and Black Lives Matter. And Heru's in the house, uh, one of the founders of The Grub Factory, which I'm dying to check out, and also a filmmaker and many, many more things in our community. So Heru and Brenda, good to see you. Welcome. Hey. Thanks for having me. Good, good to, to be have you here. Yep. So uh, The Grub Factory is going to open, huh? Yes. Yes. That's Hopefully, exciting, uh, man. Hopefully in the next few weeks, uh, we'll definitely um, put it out there. Just stay stay tuned to the Grub Factory fan page, uh, Facebook page, and we'll uh, we'll announce that grand opening, and we'll have Mark Steiner there for the grand opening. Oh, I'd love to be there for the grand opening because <laughs> I heard in the last Baltimore Vegan Weekend, didn't Haru win the mac and cheese contest? Yeah, they won up for the for the <laughs> SmackDown. They won for gluten free, yeah. and uh, it was a big hit. So. Right, right. We're looking forward to this year. It was a big turnout last year. Nice event. And um, who knew that many people like vegan mac and cheese? 
I don't even think Baltimore knew they were ready. Right. <laughs> so, so now this is the African the Baltimore Vegan Weekend is different than Vegan Soul, Soul Fest, yeah. right? Yeah. So let's so tell <laughs> so us so much stuff. <laughs> All right. So, um, so the the Mac and Cheese Smackdown started out as an idea, um, to just engage with people in Baltimore around something fun. Um, we were hoping that a few hundred people would come out, and we ended up getting a thousand people lined wow. up. Wow! Yeah. Oh, the SmackDown, d- yep, yes, for the SmackDown. Like Did they all get a chance? The, you had one thousand people had to be fed. They, they had just... to be fed. Um, we managed it. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. the chefs managed it. Um, we were at the Urban Business Center, and it was packed. It was. I mean, I think at one point the line was three blocks yeah. down the Rat. street. At at some point, I think people Crazy. were just walking up and and getting in line. They didn't even know what it was. They right. were just like, "This must be good," you know. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of people had never, especially from the neighborhood, had never even you know heard of vegan food, had never tried vegan food. So it was a great. Where is it? Where is this? Where's the Baltimore? Uh, it's on Baltimore Street. On Baltimore um, Street. Not far from the uh, that train museum, B and O museum, oh, right oh, the, the over there, yeah. yeah, southwest side, exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, it was a great event. We decided to make it an entire weekend this year because it was so big. Um, we had to move out of the the urban business center because it was just too small. So now we're going to have it in the sports complex at B Triple C um, on Liberty on Liberty Concept. Heights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and it's still going to be That's where you had the vegan soul fest too, right? <laughs> yeah, we had it on the campus. Right, right, right. So, yep. So, uh, yeah, we've been we've been hanging out with BCCC folks quite a bit. Wow. Yeah. So, wow, a thousand people for vegan, for vegan hey, man. cheese yeah. smackdown. It is the wave of the future. You know, all the, all the research I've done in opening the restaurant, um, it's expected to grow some 600% over the next five vegan years. Vegan food? Mm-hmm. In terms of just mm-hmm. those options. You know, they say millennials are more likely to have a vegan meal uh, once a week, like 80 percent of them. Um, so even in the, the product. Is that true, Imani? <laughs> <laughs> the the, 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 our producer the lone millennial in the room. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a booming business, um, and it's, it's getting more and more attention. Um, even people, like you say, that, that never heard of it before are willing to try something that they know is, you know, a healthier option if it fits their palate. So, you know, I'm a firm believer of, you know, taste, texture, nutrition. If you can find a way to equal all those things out for people, they'll eat it. That's hmm. right. So uh, a bunch of questions I have, and I, but I'm curious about this Baltimore Vegan Weekend and what's going to take place February 17th, 19th, next week. Yes. So what takes place for this, 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 this weekend? What, what are you going to be doing from, right. from Friday to Sundays? It's a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. It's been a lot of organizing. So um, Friday is going to be the Baltimore um, Vegan Food Crawl. What does that mean? So <laughs> I've heard bar crawl, pub crawl. Exactly. It's a vegan food crawl. I thought vegan food didn't crawl. <laughs> really? Good point. Good Only point. inanimate objects. You know, didn't right. speak, didn't bark. In wine. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so we're hoping that people will be so full that they'll have to crawl to the next uh, ah, restaurant. There we go. Um, so, there's a lot of uh, restaurants, cafes, and bars who um, have signed up to take part in this event. Some of them, like Red Emma's, Land of Kush, um, you know, One World Cafe already had lots of vegan ish um, food, uh, food really items, true. right? Right, right. right. Um, but some places are actually making vegan dishes just for like this what? weekend. Wow. Um, so a couple of cafes like Cafe Latte Da down in um, Phelps Point, 
um, didn't even really have vegan options, um, and now she's really excited. Um, the the room on St. Paul Street didn't really have very much um, vegan food. I think they had one sandwich, and so now the owner is going to be um, creating some mm. some sandwiches just for this food crawl. Um, and so, so um, a lot of the pizza places are just piling on. So, really? um, two yeah. boots and Pauly G's and um, non vegan spots. Yeah, like these folks are really, really excited. You're taking over, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you people. <laughs> Whoa. <watch Ooh>. <laughs> so, but wait, but, but you call it a, a vegan food crawl, but mm-hmm. this is spread out across the city. That's a yeah. lot of crawling. Yeah. It is. It is. Well, so, we have like 4,000 people who are saying that they're interested in coming to the event. So, and that's just on Facebook. We've been getting calls from. So, are they driving? You have. Other... There were um, a lot of people from out of town at the last yeah. one. No, I mean, going yeah. from place to place. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so, we're, we're, um, we're basically telling people, you know, Lyft, Uber, you know, whatever. Oh, I see. Right, right. It so, it's not organized. You go from one spot to the next. To the oh, next. It's no, just no, no. It's open for people. It's to, really Here's options. your list and you go. Right. right. Exactly. Right. And we're telling people, you know, one place might have vegan crab cakes. Another place might have lasagna. Uh, okay. another, you know, so you can pretty much pick and choose which. When's that know, list come items. out? <laughs> um, it's already on the Pep Foods website. That's Pep our Pep Foods. What's that? Pep Foods. Pep P E P P E P Foods Inc. dot com, and that is a um, vegan food collective that um, one of the founders of. Um, and so we're co-hosting this event with Baltimore Vegan Drinks, and um, so oh, we have a list online already. Um, but it keeps changing. Like today, Golden West Cafe called us and said that they want in. So, really? you know, it's constantly um, expanding to include more people. Oh, that's amazing. This is, this is, that's, well, so, so what you're doing is like really subversive. You're kind of infiltrating all these restaurants. They can start having <laughs> a little vegan stuff on their menu. <laughs> yes. We're helping to expand the culture of veganism across Baltimore. Exactly. That's the way I like to. No, I, I'm teasing. That's <laughs> a great. I think it's great. Um, so uh, I was about, I'm signing up for your mail list. Let me do that later. So, uh, <laughs> which you can do by going to pepfoodsinc.com. It's all right there, and you can uh, you can actually sign up and see what's going on. That's true. So that's a vegan food call, which I think is really cool because it does introduce these chefs into vegan food, and they can expand their menus, and people can expand their horizons in terms of and their palates right. to taste different kinds of vegan food. That's right. That's right. So Saturday is the main event. The Mac and Cheese Smackdown. That's right. And um, that's going to be from 3 to 7 p.m. Like I said, up at the sports complex at BCCC at 2901 Liberty Heights Avenue. Um, And that is just going to be stupendous. We have people coming from as far away as Ohio. Um, Somebody called from Atlanta. People are caravanning. People are flying in. Um, They are really, really excited about this event. Now I feel really bad. I didn't tell my niece about this. Oh, you can still. You she's horrible. Vegan. She oh. she might come down. Oh, they're there. serious. Okay. They oh, would they be coming from out of town or up in Ithaca? Oh, oh wow. But they're yeah, they're great vegan cooks, vegan. and they mm. yeah. Okay, so yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll definitely be on the invite for next year. Right? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell them not. They want to come out of this. Okay. Have okay. them come down. That'd be yeah. great. That's gonna be great. Yeah, they're radical, and we're we're radical. definitely coming to defend our crown. That's what's up. We have um some. We have David Carter. Who's going to be um, one of our judges? The uh, chef? The 300-pound vegan. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Him? Oh, yeah, right, right, yeah, right, 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 yeah. right, right. So he's coming out as well as um, we have um, a vegan blogger. We have um, 
uh, uh, wedding photographer. We just have a whole range of Dr. Milton Mills, who is a plant-based um, physician. Oh, yeah. yeah. We've so, talked about him before. Yes. He was on the show with us, I think, um, for the Vegan Soul Fest, wasn't he? I don't think he was on the show. Well, you're thinking about the dentist. Oh, the dentist. Terry Victor, right. yeah. So we didn't get him. Gotcha. But, um, <laughs> right. yeah, so we have, we have, we're going to, it's going to be a really fun event, and folks will get to come out. They get to judge people, which everybody loves to do. Three <laughs> unique um, versions of vegan mac and cheese and yeah, vote for the best. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. So, and you're up again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then there's the after party at Thrive Baltimore? Right, right. So that is going to be an after party slash open house. So this will be the first time that anybody gets to see the space. Um, it's <clears throat> a community resource center where we'll, um, some other food justice activists and I, who've been sort of patchwork doing this stuff all around the city, you know, whatever church or community center or whoever would have us, we've been doing cooking demos, we've been doing a vegan education program, a six-week um, program called the Vegan Living Program, um, as well as just cooking, to, just whatever we could put together, and we've been doing that. So now we'll be able to have a base of operations. Um, the space is 8,000 square feet, holds close to 500 people, um, and is going to really give us an opportunity to really amp up our uh, our outreach. So. And then Sunday, Vegan Pizza Fest and the Be More Vegan Lunch? Brunch. Brunch. Yeah. Not brunch. lunch. Brunch. Very exciting. Yes. Um, so that Sunday started off as um, just sort of a lazy, you know, get up whenever, especially if you came to the, to the after party because there will be lots of alcohol. You know, get up whenever you can and go to these different places that serve brunch, um, ve- have vegan options for brunch. Um, but then Paulie G's in Hamden found out about this and got uh, the manager over there, Kelly, got very excited and wanted to actually do a special event on that day. So he is doing um, a vegan fest, a vegan pizza fest. Um, and it's going to be about 15 different kinds of vegan pizza. He's shutting the whole place down and doing all vegan <coughs> for that day. And mm. um, and it's it should be a pretty good time there as I'm well. I'm getting hungry. So. <laughs> right, so, and, the vegan, and, and the vegan lunch... Brunch, excuse me, um, is at a bunch of restaurants, just like right. the Vegan Crawl. Right. Right. So One World Cafe, um, Land of Kush, places that, that already mm-hmm. do. Um, Golden West is debuting a new vegan French toast that they are sure. A vegan French is, toast. Yeah, it's going to be Which means good, it would so. be what then? What does that mean? I don't know. They didn't it get means it's recipe. vegan French toast. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is it? What, I mean, so what's the difference between vegan French toast and French toast? But no, no egg. egg. Right. No egg. No egg. But you don't miss it. So what are you cooking in without the egg? What would you Ancient cook? African secret. Oh, right. You can't so say so. You got to at least tell people how to cook it. <laughs> well, I know I, I have made a vegan French toast with... Um, I'm telling the secrets. This is terrible. Uh, with, with chickpea flour. So I've made like a batter with chickpea flour, and it you know was really thick. And Almond milk, coconut milk, and your favorite flour. Mm-hmm. A little sugar. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Cold Dip the bread. bread yep. Fry it. You're good. Yeah. Oh, Can't even it. tell the difference. No. Hmm. It's better actually. It's better. <laughs> so, so this can not back down to a brass tax here. We'll come back to the vegan weekend before we leave. Okay. If folks come and join us there, but um. So how long have you been a vegan, Haru? 18 years. And you've been a vegan for? 20. 
So now why, talk about your journey to veganhood. Well, I was introduced to veganism um, in 84 um, through uh, a group that uh, my mother had us involved with. And, your mom's uh, a vegan? Uh, she's, she's like you now, Mark. She'll, she'll do... She'll, she'll dabble. An opportunary. <laughs> she's, an, she's, an, she's an omnivore. Right. I love it. Um, but for the most part, um, as a youngster, I was forced into it, you know, and I was made aware of a whole lifestyle that I, wasn't, uh, that I didn't know existed. Um, it, was, it was largely soy-based that early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but at 15, when, when I could make my own choices and buy my own food, I decided not to do that anymore. But then as an adult, I came back to it because I felt the difference um, in my lifestyle, in my health. Um, so combined 18 years, there was a break in between. But um, I was introduced to it, um, you know, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Everlasting Life or what used to be Everlasting Life in, in D.C., now I think it's called a New Vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same group that introduced me to veganism back in 83, 84. In fact, I was one of the youngsters on the team that opened the first restaurant. Uh, in the D.C. area. Um, So I learned from those cooks how to prepare, you know, um, the nutrition value of food, why we were eating this way. And uh, it stuck with me. So as an adult, I I chose to go back to it. And um, I've just been learning more and more because it's evolved so much since then um, in terms of options, in terms of like the living food now, you know, some people call it raw. Um, And, you know, it's it's just a whole world. I feel even with 18 years in, I've only scratched the surface. I mean, I may know like 30, 35% of the possibilities in this arena. So it's it's a wonderful journey, and it's, it's good to help people, you know, because food is our medicine, um, mm-hmm. or it can be our poison. So as people, you know, say these are the types of things that's ailing them, you know, I ask them, well, you know, what what do you eat? Um, can you try to replace this with that? Um, and when they see the differences, you know, it's like a eureka moment. You know, they, they realize they are in charge of their own health. And that they can make choices that are not sacrificing so much, um, but benefiting tremendously. And so I'll come back to some things you said. There's some questions here, but so and, and I knew you told the story before on the show, but it's been a while. So yeah. how did you been end since up last year? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I came into veganism through um, I was going through a, a phase. Um, that was like this sort of sacred body being one with everything and, you know, uh, feeding only the best foods to your body kind of thing. Um, so it was it wasn't necessarily health based, but it was more so like um, your body as a temple and it was very spiritually connected. Um, and and uh, so that sort of gave me sort of a connection to the planet as well. That was a component of it. Um, so it was it was the body, but it was also like, you know, a, a spiritual connection with everything. Um, and I'm not saying I'm completely out of that phase, but, it, you know, I, that was my introduction. Um, and then over time, um, it sort of developed into more of a just um, common sense. Like I, I did a lot of research and certain things just didn't make sense to me anymore. So, I mean, I don't know how much. I'm going to put people on blast here, but, you know, like dairy, you know, (laughs) like dairy just stopped making sense to me. First of all, because I was always horribly lactose intolerant. So, you know, yeah, dairy caused me a lot of pain. And then I started to do like research and and it occurred to me at some point after I was already vegan that this was the milk from a cow. 
I never even made the connection. Where did you think it came from? You know, from the store. <laughs> the store. <laughs> from the grocery store in the dairy section. I don't know. I never made any connection. I mean, I didn't grow up. I grew up in the projects. You know, I never saw a cow. I never, you know, visited a farm. And so, you know, once I, you know, made that connection, I was like, I want to drink cow milk. You know, it's just like one of those Again, eureka moments where, you know, I just said, I don't, I don't want to do this. I, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, one of the things I think that what you were just saying, what Haru, you were saying a minute ago, and I think it's really important to say this, but so being, there's all kinds of levels of being vegan. I mean, vegan is, in, for most part, is, is social consciousness mm-hmm. around killing and animals and not, and also where the planet's going. And it's a very kind of social political question, it which is. I learned from my niece and Nephew, which is clearly how they moved into, they went to, from animal rights into veganhood and were already radical mm. right. and kind of that just seemed to be what you had to do. And I have another good friend of mine who's a Vietnam vet, been a revolutionary all of his life, a serious revolutionary all of his life. He's white, um, out of Chicago, and Bruce uh, became a vegan for very political reasons. He said, we can't continue eating this way if we're, the planet's going to survive. So, mm-hmm. I'm not, so I'm becoming a vegan. So he became and he says, every couple of years, I say, i got to have a hamburger. He goes and gets a hamburger. But other than that, he says, I don't eat any meat. So, um, but being a vegan is not necessarily around health is what I'm getting to. Right. Because well, there are a lot of unhealthy vegans. Yeah. You, can, you can eat stuff that's not meat-based, that's plant-based, that's right. that is not necessarily healthy for your body. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, that's mm-hmm. an important piece of this. Right? It is. It is. It's, it's an interesting um, dichotomy, I think. Um, I think uh, for... European Caucasian people, it is more of a social environment um, question, political question. I think um, African folk, uh, black people, come mainly from a health um, perspective. Um, and, the, and, and really, these two worlds meet um, in the vegan community, so to speak. Um, but I think that both sides That's are learning from each other. And uh, you get um, the, the merging of those two reasons um, is is also what is spiking this market. That's interesting. I mean, that's what you just said. I mean, because mm-hmm. Baltimore has had this, maybe other cities as well, but I'm not as aware of, of what I've, I've been to many cities, but not aware of it because I don't know the cities as well as I know this town in some ways. But there's been this um, very a segment of the black community that's been extremely health conscious for the last 50 or so years. Right. You know, that, that's been there. But there seems to be a, a large population of Afro vegans, of black folks who are vegans in this in this community, mm-hmm. I think that it's it's except, it, I don't know if it's exceptionally large compared to other cities percentage wise, right? Or even if it's not as big as I think it is because we live in some maybe kind of very rarefied worlds. Oh no, it's big. But talk, yeah, talk <laughs> about so what do you? Th- yeah, so so the thing, <clears throat> and and I talk about Afro veganism um, really pretty exclusively because of the fact that I've been um, <clears throat> exposed to the animal rights movement, and I say exposed. Um, sort of like a <clears throat> virus, um, and and um, so I know the white perspective, you know, on animal rights and veganism, and and I never really um, was able to integrate into that world because I am an Afro vegan, like I am a black person who is experiencing life through that lens, and so I just literally cannot see the world the way that the mainstream animal rights movement sees it. Um, because I'm coming with a whole different set of experiences. And so, um, like Haru was saying, for for black people who are embarking on this journey towards veganism, it's um, it's uh, almost a, a form of resistance. 
you know, hmm. and, and we use it as such um, because we have so much more going on in our communities. I mean, Dr. Milton Mills, um, I don't know if he coined the phrase, but he certainly uses the phrase um, nutritional racism. Um, because, you know, our communities are literally being targeted by, you know, these these companies, these packaged food companies that are literally trucking in and dumping all this unhealthy um, animal products and salty and sugary packaged and canned and, you know, and boxed products into our communities. And, and don't forget the fast food uh, corner right, stores in the, the black communities. And that, you know, are, are owned by, you know, people who aren't even from Arab the community, Asians. who don't even give back to the community. They just take. And that's been happening since my mother. My mother talks about, you know, growing up in the hood in Baltimore um, and having that same exact thing happening. Um, and so it's, 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 it's very extractive, you know, these, these businesses that are coming in and extracting wealth and leaving decimation behind. Like, like our health has really suffered over the decades. And so, you know, for, for people who have that, situation, you know, this always brewing in the background, it's almost a matter, it's definitely a matter of life and death for a lot of people. And it goes hand in hand with revolutionary thinking, you know, to, to quote Gil Scott Heron, the first revolution is when you change your mind and you begin to see things <clears throat> differently. Um, and like she said, once you once you research certain things and once you begin to take your health as something serious, you recognize that some of these things um, just don't make sense anymore. So um, knowing that there is a community waiting to embrace you, um, you know, you got like a, a land of Kush that they call it a soul food. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We got we got vegan soul food for you. So you're not really um, relinquishing a whole lot. We know what, how, how you like your food to taste. Um, so we're going to bring it to you without some of these um, attacks, as you call it, on, on the, uh, the, the nutritional content of the food in your community, in your food desert, um, or what you've been raised to think is okay to eat. I mean, yeah. If you look at I me, mean, the question of unhealthy food affects a lot of communities. Yeah. And you look at. Um, we were doing some research the other night for an, an, another project. You know, and you look at counties in West Virginia and Kentucky and the hills. I mean, the obesity rate has gone from like ten cent, ten percent to forty percent in the community mm-hmm. because of that. Because mm-hmm. the food's not there. Because the because the fast foods are all fast foods all over the place and an American period. I mean, we're just eating all this stuff that is just. Horrible for us, and and the mass production of meat, right, is a factor in climate change and destroying the earth at the same time. It's yeah. you know, um, it's, it's, it's these are very real things. Um, that's why I was talking about veganism being having this political edge to it, as well as you can as you have a health edge, but a po- political edge to it. You know, and then you're describing how those things meet mm-hmm. in the black community. That's right. And I I see it as threefold. I mean, I am sort of um, rare in that I do um, animal advocacy Yeah, you do. Right, right, right. And and that has been something that has um, been like an evolution for me. And it is very tricky work um, because especially with with the climate of the country right now and, and really my whole life, um, it's very, very tricky work. It's it you know it is very, very easy to step on toes and offend people, and have people extremely upset with me for having the gall to ever even talk about um, you know animal welfare at all. But I think 
you know, for me, it is threefold. It certainly is, you know, veganism provides this this possible solution to the health disparities that exist within um, our communities. And, and I could go on and on about that. The study that was done by Johns Hopkins, you know, where poor black people, you know, in one community were compared, you know, the health outcomes were compared to a, a, a wealthy white community, one community over, and they showed that there was a 20-year Yeah. Yes. Right. You know. Right. And I mean, and that was conservative. And so, you know, we need to start looking at these health disparities and and start trying to to figure out solutions to that. I honestly believe that, you know, the plant based diet is a possible solution. You know, we've seen I've seen numerous. I've been doing the vegan living program for several years now. And that whole seminar series you do. Exactly. And I mean, people even after just six weeks, people are coming back saying, you know, my arthritis is, you know, my inflammation is gone. You know, my blood pressure went down. My, you know, all these things. I mean, people's uh, uh, bowel issues are already lessening. And so this is real. Like people are really experiencing relief from um, these all of these health issues. Um, but but again, it's the the environmental um, piece and how animal agriculture is really decimating our environment. And you know, so it's like if you don't have if we don't have a planet, then then we well, don't no, have right, a right, chance. Right, right. So so we're just about out of time. But I want okay. to come back to get you all come back very soon and have a much longer conversation about okay. all this. I think it's really important. Um, yeah, um, I just wanted to add on. Um, um, I'm also a member of the African Awareness and Critical Thinking Study Class. We're celebrating our 10th year this year. And one thing we learn as we study ancient African culture is that spirituality is how we are connected to uh, the cosmos, to the environment, and to each other. And the more I'm hearing, you know, Brenda talk and, you, and, and the questions you're asking and the points you're making, veganism really does that. You know, it gets you in tune with, you know, because it, it, it socially environment, you know, uh, right. as far as the, the, um, the, the resources that are being used in the mass production of meat. Um, how, you know, how we deal with one another, how we help each other with those health disparities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just basically living a fuller life. Um, and, you know, that, that's the goal, I think, really. And on that note, I want to thank you, Haru and Brenda Sanders. Good to have you in the studio. Baltimore Vegan uh, Weekend, February 17th to 19th, 2017. More information at, is it tiny, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L.com? Uh-huh. Um, slash Be More Vegan Weekend. So that'll be up on our website, and see you there for our vegan food crawls, the mac and cheese smackdown, and more. Thank you all for being in the studio. Grub Factory, 1210 North Charles Street, coming soon. Steiner Show and Soundbites are productions of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by a grant from the Town Creek Foundation. Our senior producer is Mark Gunry. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramlagan. Our intern is Michael Dixon. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music is by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. Now send me your thoughts about today's program to 
talk at steinershow.org. If you podcast the Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends, visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care. Good health and wise ways. We got to start taking better care of ourselves. They say you are what you eat, so I strive to eat healthy. My goal in life is not to be rich or wealthy, because true wealth comes from good health and wise ways. We got to start taking better care of ourselves. Be healthy, y'all.